Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSE podcast. We have a special episode today. I don't, I, we've never done this before. In nope, fact, never. And so this is a really special episode. And as you saw from the title, uh, for my recovery, my partner's healing, how can I stop scanning in public? And the way we came up with this topic, this was actually a request from one of our Dare to Connect subscribers. And she sent us a really uh, cool message through our Dare to Connect contact form. And here's what she said. And you'll, you'll see from what she sent us about uh, where this episode's coming from. So she says, the other day, I shared how my addict spouse had learned to not scan and objectify and the tools that you had shared back in like December or January of this year when you did the D2C episode from the coffee shop. Uh, that and other topics have been instrumental in him learning tools for when he goes out in public. Mm-hmm. And so she she actually uh, was bringing up, and this, we looked it up, this was clear back in January of this year, 2023, that we did that session. And so she she asks us, she says, um, she's she's actually in a Reddit group, and she says, uh, someone in my Reddit group asked, what episode I was referring to as I was describing all of this. And I realized I'm not 100% sure that you've covered this ever in a PBSE podcast. And we actually don't think we have. At least not or in if, the way we did it here. No, we did. We did yes. Or if you have, I don't remember which, which one at the moment. Is this something you can share with your PBSE listeners so that it's public for others to learn and grow and improve? And we decided, yes, we are. Yeah, it's a, it's actually a really cool opportunity. You know, uh, many of you who have listened to the podcast before uh, know that Mark and I, for the last two years, have been running an online recovery program that's 
kind of the first of its kind uh, called Dare to Connect. And it is for addicts and spouses and couples. Uh, the program encompasses roughly 25 hours of content a month with uh, three, three uh, weekly groups during the week, uh, one for addicts on uh, Mondays, one for partners of addicts on Wednesdays, and one, on, one for couples specifically on Fridays. Uh, we typically tackle about uh, one huge topic in recovery a month. Uh, this month, for example, we're covering betrayal trauma and all of its facets, right? Everything from what it is to what it looks like, how it manifests, how a coupleship engages with it and works through it. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of the format of the program. It also includes uh, weekly su- or uh, support sessions on Sundays um, for addicts and for spouses as well that are 12-step based. So it's a pretty comprehensive program and can meet people at, at a lot of different levels. And uh, one of the things that we do as we've been, or that we've been doing as we expand out the program is we will have special episodes in Dare to Connect that take on different uh, unique roles. For example, sometimes Mark or I's spouses will come on um, as you know uh, spouses of addicts in long-term recovery, and they will actually speak to the audience directly. Uh, my wife, Brittany, has, has been on the program a number of times as his Mark's wife, LaDawn. And uh, that's always kind of a special treat for our listeners, especially for partners, because they kind of get a glimpse into what it looks like uh, for a partner of an addict um, in the long run, right? What does healing look like? What's the journey look like, et cetera? One of the other things that we've been doing that's been kind of a unique note is we do these, we're calling them on-location episodes, right? On occasion, we will actually broadcast from somewhere, right? Not just from our studios in our individual offices, uh, in our clinics, but we will actually be broadcasting outside, and such was the case on this day. So this broadcast that you're going to hear is a D2C episode, which is usually restricted content, but we, you know, at the request of our D2C subscriber here, who's a member of this Reddit group, by the way, this Reddit group that we're referring to is is about 46,000 women strong, um, and some men as well. It's uh, If you are interested in, in checking it out, we would invite you to do so. Uh, the way to find that is under Reddit, you'd want to look for Red R forward slash love after porn with no spaces. And that's R forward slash love after porn. And uh, uh, that's uh, she's a member of our Dare to Connect program. She's also a member of this group. And so we thought it would be a cool thing to be able to share. We just so value and honor spouses who are fighting in this process, as well as addict partners as well. But uh, spouses definitely have a, a really special place in our heart. So we thought that we would kind of open up the vault on the Dare to Connect program that is usually paid content. And we'd broadcast that today. So this episode is significantly longer because these groups are a solid hour long, each of them. And we're doing the full broadcast from this attic session that happened on January 30th of 2023. So as you listen, you're going to notice a couple of things different today. This is an interactive program. So there's a live chat function going on. So you'll hear us reference different people in the chat, people who attend the Dare to Connect program for confidentiality and to protect everyone's identity use what we call avatars. So they all have pseudonyms or pseudonames. And so you'll hear a couple of different names in the chat, like Red Heron and a few others that are <laughs> mentioned. Um, those are just pseudonyms for real-life subscribers in the program who are asking questions in the chat feed. So you'll hear us respond to that periodically. You'll hear a lot of back-and-forth dialogue between Mark and I as we teach these skill sets. And you're going to hear a lot of rabble in the background because it is a coffee shop. We're doing this in real time and talking about real-time examples of processing triggers. So it's kind of a cool, a cool example. Um, and a good way to uh, get an introduction. We thought it'd be just a cool, idea, a cool idea to do after after this was requested to let you all kind of have a taste of what this program looks like in real time. It should be noted too that if you are you do elect to join the Dare to Connect program, there's obviously a live video feed that accompanies this as well. Obviously, this with being a podcast, we just strip the audio out, and that's what you're hearing today. 
So if you are interested in checking that out, we would love to have you come take a look. We are offering a two-week free trial, as many of you know, for that program at uh, daretoconnectnow.com. Again, that's daretoconnectnow.com. You just click on the subscribe link up at the top right corner, and we'll get you hooked up with that. And again, shout out to this amazing Reddit group. We're just so uh, happy that uh, one of our subscribers is connected with such an awesome support system. And uh, if any of you are looking for additional support, we'd encourage you to take a look at their at their Reddit thread as well. It's a really great resource. So with that said, uh, here we go. We'll uh, start the episode and 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 let it fly. Morning, everybody. Mark and Steve coming at you here from uh, Dare to Connect, but we are on location today at a uh, un at an unnamed uh, coffee shop of popular popular repute that we won't <laughs> that we won't promote, endorse, nor shun. Um, it's good to be with you guys today. Um, so yeah, we're doing a little bit of an on location uh, today's a little bit of a test. We've got some cool things coming up in Dare to Connect, and one of those is we plan on doing more of these, as we indicated a couple months ago. Uh, with the new DDC program. And so uh, we want, with this being kind of a holdover day from January, just kind of a tail end for you addicts, uh, we want to do something a little bit different and, and, and walk you through uh, this concept of triggers and recovery and how it happens in real time in the real world. So um, here we are, you know, kind of in real time. We're out doing our thing, um, you know, grabbing our, you know, grabbing, literally I've got my, uh, my unmentioned drink here. I'm not showing the logo, am I? <laughs> And I've got my I've got my sandwich, right? And we're uh, we're just out having having normal um, morning, like like many of you do. So how do you navigate a, a situation like this or a, or an environment like this? Um, there are obviously the there are the more you know sexual triggers that we talk about on here all the time, but then we have like the emotional triggers as well. Uh, before I left the house this morning, two things happened <laughs> for me. One, I couldn't find my keys. Uh, which is always stressful because I was running a little bit late to meet Mark here. And then the second thing uh, was traffic was horrendous. Now, I know that what I'm going to share with you guys is kind of a first world problem, so bear with me. But uh, I, don't, I, I don't do morning commutes like ever. Like, it's very rare for me to be out this time of day these days. Ever since COVID, I've been working from home. And so when I got into, it, when, as I was fumbling for the keys and trying to get out the door on time, and then as I got into traffic, a couple of things happened for me. One, I could feel my stress level rising, right? Um, I was feeling really kind of serene before leaving the house, and then I could feel that kind of getting up there. The second thing that happened is that I uh, I felt myself going into an objectifying state. Now, as we talk about oftentimes, right, there, there are different states of mind when it comes to objectification. Oftentimes, when we say objectifying, people are kind of referring to the sexual objectification component. Which is definitely a thing, um, but for me, and I now this is just Steve's experience. So maybe some of you resonate with this, maybe you don't. For me, more often than not, objectification begins actually much a ways before uh, it ever hits the sexual realm. At least these days, where it usually begins for me is when I start to break people down not into body parts, but into either assets of my day of my environment or deficits of my day or my environment. So what I mean by that is I start to see people or things as things that either can get me where I want to go or things that are going to take me further away from where I want to go. And and that's what objectification oftentimes looks like for me. So here I am in traffic this morning and the more aggravated I'm getting, the more I'm looking at the cars in front of me as just things that are in my way. Right? And if they would just kindly move or not be going to work 
or not be doing what 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 is important for them, then I can get done what I need to get done, and my day will be great. And that's how my brain will sometimes devolve. Now, again, that that made to some seem like, well, how does that tie into how does that tie into sexual addiction, or how does that tie into acting out? Well, for me, it begins oftentimes, like I said, with that breaking down of people in other ways. Because already, what am I doing? I'm starting in little ways to strip away their humanity, right? The real the reality is that these people around me, they have just as valid of a reason for being on the road. They've got, you know, important things that they're out and about doing. And I, the more I get into that mode, the less I'm thinking about that or seeing it, seeing it that way. I just see them as people who are just bugging me, right? Or in my way. Um, so, oh, I'm bleeding into your mic, it says. I guess that's going to just be part of it. Um, so next time we'll uh, be further away from each other in the room. Oh, you're muted. Oh, okay, good deal. Um, so anyway, so that's that's kind of where it begins for me. So oftentimes it's it's important, and I'm curious what Mark has to say about that. To be looking at at triggers, not just from that standpoint of you know when we're in the mode or the zone, it's like oh gosh, here comes a sexual trigger. What was your state of mind like beforehand, and what other sorts of triggers were playing a role? What set the stage? for your brain making that leap from authentic Steve or authentic Texas or authentic Boba Billy or authentic what, whatever, right. To that place of now I'm less so. So, so are you just coming through my mic then? No, I'm, I, I'm, I was muted. So I, when I'm going to talk, I'll, yeah, you're just going to mute and unmute. Okay. Maybe, and maybe you need, maybe you need to mute. So, you know, I don't know if you're going to come in through. My yeah, mic. I can do that. Yeah. All right. But yeah, the, you know, to work, it's interesting as I, as we came into this public space this morning, one of the things that was brought up in our live support group last night was this issue of objectification, right? A lot of you guys expressed last night, yeah, I have such a great challenge with objectification. Yeah, it's been one of the, it's, a, it's been my nemesis for nearly my whole life is this objectification issue. One of the things that I find is something that we would not normally think about with regard to objectification, especially going into a public space, is identity. What is my identity? So I'll give you an example of something that happened to me on Saturday. Uh, I go to the, try to go to the gym on a regular basis, and, and we know it's January at the gym. It is an absolute madhouse. And so when I walked into the gym, what do you, what do you think I'm going to see at the gym, right? Bodies, body parts, and people everywhere. And frankly, at the gym that I go to, a lot of the individuals there are single guys and single gals. So they're trying to get each other's attention. And we all know what that means, right? So here's one of the things that I need to do as part of my healthy ritual, right? Let's call it a healthy ritual, a healthy pattern. As I'm driving to the gym, I need to prepare myself with regard to my identity. Who am I going into that gym? I'll tell you some of the things that I run through my head. I mark the mature adult as opposed to mark the 15-year-old. I'm going to go into that gym as a mature guy. I'm going to go in there with respect, with dignity. I'm going to go in there thinking of my wife. I'm going to go in there thinking of the reason that I'm going, right, focused on my exercise. 
I need to have the right identity and mindset before I walk through those doors. Right? What does Steve and I say? Check your identity at the door. Don't go into that public environment mindlessly. Because here's what happens to me if I go in without that identity preparation. My brain defaults to the 15-year-old. Oh, wow, look at this. Woo-hoo, right? Look at all of this. And if I allow myself to just go in there on default, I'm going to struggle. Right? I'm going to hit with urges. I'm going to be trying to look up, look down, right? Look away. But if I go through my identity ritual before I get there, it makes all the difference in the world. Same thing happened today as we came into this public space at this coffee house. <clears throat> Actually, here's a, <laughs> it's a funny story because <clears throat> I came here into a different city and my wife and I drove together. We actually have family down here in the place where, where Steve lives. And so my wife dropped me off and, okay, she's gone, right? So now here's Mark in the public space. He has internet access at the coffee house. It's a separate internet, right? If my 15-year-old brain is in charge, ooh, opportunity. Look at this opportunity. But I went through my identity ritual before I walked through these doors. I didn't know who I was going to see or who was going to be here. So we're here setting up, and I'm getting everything ready. And what happens? Out of the corner of my eye, <laughs> I see my wife walking by. And I take a double take, like, wait, <clears throat> I thought she drove away and left. Unbeknownst to me, she had actually come in to use the restroom. Now, old Mark, old attic Mark, would have panicked severely. As I caught my wife out of the corner of my eye, I would have been looking at my devices. Okay, what, what, what's on my device? What, what, what am I looking at? Am I okay? Did she see anything? I didn't feel any of that today. I looked over and, and just gave a big smile. I said, oh, it's you. And she smiled at me. And, right, there was, there was no panic or wondering if I, if I was doing the right thing or if somebody was going to see me or whatever. It was all good. But a lot of that was due to the fact that I went through my identity ritual before coming in here. So that is a big thing for you guys, and especially in public spaces and triggers. Make sure you've got your identity down solid before you walk into that space. And then you can act in that higher self, that true self, instead of just defaulting to the mindless addict. So identity is a biggie. No, I love that. And uh, I, I loved how Mark brought that up before we started today because, it, you know, it's really true. It's easy to put on different hats when we're around different people or different environments, right? Um, like I said, I, I for in, in the lifestyle that I live now, kind of post-COVID world, I, I Mark and I were also discussing this. I just don't go out a ton. I'll go do things with my wife like on the weekends. And I'll usually go shopping or run, run a few errands during the day. But I usually am home doing dog care slash working, whether that's D2C or working with individual clients or whatever. And so I don't leave a whole ton, at least again since, since COVID. And uh, now I find myself, you know, when I do go out, it's interesting because it's kind of created a new mind, level of mindfulness for me. You know, there's that there used to be very much that like Steve that was with clients 
right? Or Steve that was with home or Steve that was with my dogs or whatever. And it's still true that to a degree, I still do that, right? And I, I'm, I'm slightly different. I'm more vulnerable. I'm a little more casual when I'm with my wife or with, you know, friends or whatever the case is. But am I doing that to the point where I'm, I'm putting down or trying to put down different pieces or pick up different pieces of my authenticity, right? When I go out and I, and I do things because that can so easily happen, right? In the world of addiction, I mean, I remember doing this all the time. I would go to a place like this, right? Or I would go to the store or I would go wherever. And Mark kind of mentioned it. There was an anonymity that would come with that, right? If I was alone versus with my wife, there would be, I, I would oftentimes find myself feeling a greater pull to be scanning people, right? As I was out and about. And there would be a, you know, you mentioned the anonymity of the internet, right? When you're at a place like a coffee shop, it's like, well, gosh, there go all the filters, right? There, there goes all the regulation. There goes all the accountability, right? And, and these aren't things that I consciously have thought about, you know, in a long time in that world of addiction, but just kind of coming out and doing this today with Mark has kind of just reminded me how that used to happen all the time. And I love how he talks about this idea of, you know, when you do go to these different places, Obviously, are we going to be a little bit different depending on who we're around? We, yeah, and we should because we have different relationships with people. But are we, are we sloughing off different parts of our authenticity without even knowing it right? when we go to places like this? So, Well, and, and Boba Belly brought up a question. He says, my therapist mentioned to me that addicts' emotional maturity level sort of gets stuck at the age they started to use their addictive behavior as a coping mechanism. Do you think there is validity to that? Absolutely, 100% yes. <laughs> yeah, we do get stuck in our emotional maturity at the age that we started to engage in these behaviors. For me, it really hit like crazy, incredibly hard when I hit puberty at about age 14. I was kind of a late bloomer. And man, I'll tell you, when, I, when puberty hit me, I was like a maniac out of control. And if I don't check my identity and go through my routine, my brain will default to that age, make no mistake. And so, yes, very much so. You know, one of the other things with regard to these public spaces is you'll notice that Steve is sitting with his back to the main area. We call that environment, right? Establishing an environment for success. Um, I have a client um, <clears throat> who was military trained. Uh, he's a Navy pilot. He's now a commercial airline pilot. One of the biggest challenges for him and his wife when they go into a public space is he immediately falls back on his military training where he's scanning the environment naturally. He's looking to see who's here, who's a threat, where are all the exits. And what do you think happens when his wife sees him scanning everyone and everything in that public space? She thinks that he's, 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 he's ogling, he's, he's gazing, he's, right? he's gone into his, you know, into his um, voyeur mode, and sometimes he does. So one of the things he and I have been working on, which is enormously hard for him, is I tell him, when you go into a public space, I want you to step into your identity as your, your wife's husband, and guess what? You are all into her. You are there for her. You're not the military man. You're not the addict man. You're, you're her partner. 
So what he started doing, and it says it creeps him out, is he, he goes in and he sits with his back to the whole environment. And he says it literally makes him crazy. It makes him so anxious and nervous. But he's doing that for her. And it has made all the difference when he establishes an environment for success. So you'll notice Steve's doing that right now. Steve can't see anything that's going on in this public environment. He can just see me. And if I were his spouse, he would be all into me. Eye contact with me, reaching out to hold my hand, sticking his foot out under the table to play toesies. We're not doing that, by the way. <laughs> not yet. Not yet, anyway. So I got a kind of a question for the group. Um, what would, is it a, is it healthy, quote unquote, to be helping to provide safety for a spouse when we go out somewhere and doing things to change or create safety in the environment, for example, like Mark said, you know, facing the wall, because I can already hear a couple of my clients, some of whom are DVC members saying already, you know, Steve, that's not, you tell me all the time, it's not my job to work my wife's recovery. <laughs> right? That's not my job. My, my job. It's not my job to work my wife's recovery. So is me, uh, when I go out in public, taking steps like that, is that, and I'd love to hear from you guys in the chat, is that uh, trying to work my spouse's recovery? Because I hear this a lot from guys, you know, in different ways, um, you know, that question. Uh, let's see. I know there's a little bit of a delay. I'll tell you what, while I, while, while we wait for the delay, I will give you my thoughts about that. There's a big difference in my, in my mind, both as an addict in recovery, as a husband and as a professional between working a partner's recovery versus providing a healthy environment for their recovery to happen. Right. Oh, look at this. Morningstar's exact, put down exactly what I just said, right? I think that's just providing a good environment, a foundation in the relationship. Absolutely. And I would completely agree. Well, right? let, me, let me say something real quick because Threat Level Midnight said just the opposite. He said, doing these things to avoid going to objectification would trigger my spouse because she would realize the headspace I'm in. That is such a good point. Threat level midnight, right? Your spouse sees that you sat with your back to everybody and you're facing the wall. She's like, why is he doing that? He's having a problem, isn't he? Why do, why do we, why does he have to be unlike other men? He's got to go to all these lengths. Okay, guys, that now is your wife's recovery. That is where that is on her. You need to do what is authentic to you for you to be safe and to help her to be safe. She's going to have, she's going to struggle with that. Another guy asked her, he says, does anybody else fall into scanning for your wife's triggers? Is there a woman here in the room that my wife would be looking at me to see if I'm looking at the woman? What person here will trigger my wife to see if I'm screwing up? See now Red Heron in the chat. Red Heron, gold star today, man. That's why you talk about it beforehand. Amen. Amen. Red Heron, you're, you're getting some good, some good professional support from wherever that's coming from. Um, <laughs> I think that's fabulous. Um, is exactly right, right? This is where the communication between the two of us happens when we go out and we do things. Now, sometimes that will happen around bigger events. 
Um, I have a couple that I, I work with who recently they went to a concert, like a like a concert concert, you know, with like thousands of people. And as any of you know who have been to a concert, you get all kinds there and all sorts of different triggers are in the environment. Chemical triggers, emotional triggers, uh, sexual triggers, right? It's just kind of a litany of things. And um, they took a really smart track. What they did is they sat down and they said, look, we're kind of, we love this singer, right? We love going here, but we're kind of going into the lion's den a little bit. And just the chance for this going wrong is fairly high. <laughs> so can we just have a quick little, and they had like a five minute powwow before they went, right? Husband sat down and he listed, here are the things that I feel like would be helpful for me, but also hopefully will provide safety for you. What are your thoughts and feelings about those? I want to tell you why I'm doing those things, how they potentially benefit me, and how I think they might be helpful for you to feel safe. What do you think? Right? And then she kind of responds and does the same kind of a thing. It, is, it wasn't a huge discussion for them, but what does that create, guys, before we go, go in? I, I would say that those kinds of discussions, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of efficiency and recovery, right? Anytime I can, like, kill, like, six birds with one stone, I'm all about that. And when I think about that kind of a discussion, think about all the things that are happening there. You're creating a plan, right? You're, you're setting the stage for, for minimized triggers because you're talking to each other about, you know, what does this mean when I do this or whatever, but then what's the other bigger, more important piece? Guys, you're collaborating, right? You're building a plan with a partner. You're following it through. You're developing on that consistency, right? You're creating consistency with them when you follow through with the plan. If you guys check in afterwards, it's increasing the communication and the connection. You see how many different levels of recovery you can hit with a discussion like that? It's interesting, though, because as we're talking about this, kind of going back to what I was saying before, I do work with some addicts and spouses where, it, almost in kind of a twisted way, there's kind of this feeling of I need to not work his recovery and she, she needs to not work mine. So, and if we, and then that gets paired with, well, if we really love each other, we should know what the other one's thinking. So I will see spouses, and I'm getting big nods from Mark. He sees the same thing, where in different ways, shape, or form, in different ways, shapes or forms, I should say, we find ourselves almost kind of forcing the relationship into a mind reading like state in the name of, well, I don't want to be working their stuff. And I would absolutely agree with what Red Heron said and with what some of you are saying is that being stepping in and providing a safe environment for my partner is not working their recovery. That is doing what I can as a spouse to try to protect them from those things that I have control of, right? Those things that are in my sphere of influence. I'm not stepping into the world and making them not be triggered, right? I'm doing my part to go to, to go to battle for them, to go to war. When I go to a coffee shop with my wife, now, I don't think about it as much this way these days, but when we first got married or when we first got into recovery, going to, like going to Smith's, Kroger for many of you, that was, like, that was like going to the battlefield, right? Most people would just look at that as a shopping trip. For us, that was an hour long, okay, how's this going to go? You know, and so even though everyone around us is just shopping, what are we doing? We're fighting for the relationship in little ways. Right? How well are we implementing our plan? Did we talk about it beforehand? Are we reviewing it afterwards? What did we do to manage triggers in, in real time as we were at the store? Right? Those little opportunities are everywhere if you're willing to take them. Now, there's some comments in the chat that I, I really love that you guys are saying some things because you're being real about what we're talking about. This is not going to be, this is not going to run smoothly for you, those of you who are not deep into recovery yet. So, what does Pickle say? Yep, I end up saying no to going to a lot of places 
to avoid her being triggered and to avoid having to have these conversations. <laughs> that's ab- that's absolutely true, Pickles. You're like, oh my gosh, we got to have this whole big elaborate to do because we're going to the grocery store. I'm just not going to go. And I get that early on, <clears throat> but Pickles and all you guys, please become mindful of the fact that recovery, a lot of recovery is about what? I can do hard things. I am willing, and in fact, I must come out of my comfort zone, step out of my box if this is going to start to improve. So I get that. It's easier to just stay home, but you're going to need to come to the place where you're going to be, you got to be willing to, to put yourself out there. Kind of put yourself on the, you know, your head on the chopping block a little bit. And there's no guarantee that it's going to go well. You're what, by the, the very fact that you're having to have a conversation about having a plan <clears throat> to go to the grocery store, that may trigger your wife all by itself. Right? Phoenix, Phoenix says it's really triggering that my, my wife can be triggered by the fact that we need to have a conversation about how to navigate a particular atmosphere. Yeah, that's right. It could be very triggering for her. But guys, this is where you need to calmly stand your ground and stay in your authentic self, knowing that this is hard for your for her, but you're but you're gonna follow through anyway. And yeah, she's <clears throat> she's gonna need to tap into her support system about why that's so hard for her. <clears throat> that's part of her recovery and healing is going through that hard stuff. So I appreciate you guys bringing up the fact that this doesn't always work like a textbook, right? It's it's sloppy to navigate for, for a while. No, and I like I like what's being talked about. This let me make sure. Okay, I am unmute. I am unmuted. Double <laughs> checking before I go on some random tirade. Um, so many of you know that I'm a two-time cancer survivor, and the last time I had cancer as a kid, I had a bone marrow transplant. So many of you know what that means. Uh, for sake of time, I'll keep it brief. Essentially, when you get a bone marrow transplant, in order to get rid of leukemia, bone marrow transplant is one of those things that they do where they basically kill off your entire immune system including your bone marrow, to prevent your body from making unhealthy cancerous cells. And then either with your own bone marrow that has been cleansed or purified or with from a donor, they literally give you new bone marrow. Okay, through what, you know, Bone marrow is what generates all the cells in the body, at least blood-wise. And that killing process is a really scary thing because it's like it's about two months long. And when I went into that process, I essentially had to live in a clean room. To come to visit me, you couldn't be sick. You had to wear a mask. You had to be completely covered from head to toe in surgical garb. And you had to come through three different sets of doors, all with negative pressure environments with HEPA filters to even come in and visit me in the hospital. And I couldn't even have person-to-person contact. Like, it was a big deal. Because when you're in that process, you're very vulnerable. You have no immune system, literally no immune system. Like, a cold can kill a person in that kind of environment. So there's a high degree of vulnerability. The idea behind a bone marrow transplant, though, is that while you're in this clean environment is that eventually, what's, what's this all building towards? Towards a point where that bone marrow is going to be replaced and you're going to be able to what? You're going to be able to get better, to improve, start making cells on your own again so that you can now what? Leave that environment and go live your life. Recovery emotionally is the same kind of a thing. And we're all at different stages within it. There are certain, you know, in the really vulnerable, really scary parts of recovery where things are really rough. Sometimes we do have to live in a bit of a clean room. 
right? Where we, where we are operating from a place of kind of what's being described and what Mark was discussing, where there is a low exposure to triggers, right? We aren't going to a lot of environments. We are real, our defenses around the relationship and around our individual recoveries are like six feet high, right? Because this relationship cannot take any more blows, can't take any more hits. But anytime we're doing recovery, it's important, guys, and it's so tempting for a relationship or individually to get caught in a place of, of uh, not evolving in the recovery. Everything that we do in recovery should be geared towards what? Being able to get out and work in the real world because recovery, among whatever else it needs to be, it has to be sustainable. It has to be sustainable. The whole purpose of this process is to get you guys out living your life. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be environments that you can and ought to avoid forever, right? Um, for any of you guys who used to frequent there, I don't care how good the hot wings were. Guess what? Strip clubs are off the table forever, okay? They're just off the table. If you're serious about this, that those kind of environments you need to avoid for yourself, for your spouse, for, your, for a whole different litany of reasons, right? But going out in the world on a day-to-day basis, as we go through this healing journey, guys, it's just that. It's a healing journey. And we have to be safeguarding and, and loving and protecting the relationship while at the same time exposing it to things so that it can be developing up the ability to, you guys can experience things that you can retool, recheck, right? Do things differently next time. Um, you have heard Mark and I talk about this concept that therapists use called the window of tolerance. And what that refers to for those who haven't heard that term before is, when I'm working with a client, I'm always in the back of my mind. One of the things that's happening is where is this client at in the window of tolerance? Because my job in a good therapy session is to push a client into uncomfortable space when I meet with them most of the time without going so far as to push them into an unsafe place. Right. And uh, same thing when I work with a couple, may I lovingly suggest that we need to be doing that same thing individually with ourselves, but also with the relationships. Well, now we should be doing that consensually and we should be coming up with plans to do that. And we need to also retain a willingness to walk that back or to recognize which scenarios we may not be ready for, while at the same time being able to be bold and, and brave and work with each other to be able to say, okay, how can we tackle this hard thing that maybe we couldn't have last month? We've made some good progress. Maybe we try that family get together with your really triggering parents right? or whatever the case is, and let's see how it goes and let's give it a try. Yeah, and I, I like some of the comments you guys are making. Uh, Phoenix says, for example, that it's rough at first, uh, or let, let me go back to what he says, because I love the the creativity. He says, it's really triggering for my wife to know I need a plan before we go to the pool. So I have to text it to her and give her time to work through it. I love that, right? You text her your plan knowing that she needs to process it. It's going to be very triggering. Oh, we got, he has to have a plan to go to the pool. We can't live like normal people. So I love that, that you're, that you're mindful enough to be able to, to foresee that in her and give her a chance to, to work through it. Other of, other of you guys are saying how, you know, the Jetsons. Unfortunately, my last slip involved vacation and a beach and the pool. Yeah, those are such tough places, Right. I'll tell you guys, for me, you know, back in heavy addiction, one of the absolutely worst places for me to go was a water park. Oh, my gosh, right? If you guys are familiar with water parks with all the big fancy slides and all, it's, it's just teeming with teenagers and young adults. 
and they're all in, you know, string bikinis and all this stuff. And, and you're waiting in line. So they're right there up in your face. I couldn't, I chose not to go, for example, to a water park for several years. It was too much. It was too big a step for me. And so I, ha- I had to baby step my way into that environment, you know, and start with a, you know, less triggering places. I did get to, I, I remember, I'll tell you guys this because it'll give you great hope. I remember the first time that I returned to a water park. It was at a, uh, it was at an amu- a big famous amusement park close to where we live. And I went to the water park and I, I prepared with my identity ritual going in. I um, was, I, here's another thing that I recommend you guys practice in public spaces. Being fully present. Can you be fully present to where you're so, you're so here and now with whomever you're with that you actually find yourself not even noticing what's going on around you? Now, this takes practice. This is why we engage, for example, in daily meditation. Hopefully, you guys are doing some sort of meditation on a regular basis to learn how to clear your mind and just let the sounds and things going on around you just sort of go across the stage of your mind without you paying attention to them. You can do guided meditations online that will teach you how to do this. But I went to that water park and I was able to stay fully present. In fact, I would close my eyes and I would hear the little children's laughter playing in the water park. And it was, it was I would have to tell you, I told my wife, I said, that was a delightful experience. Imagine Mark, you know, the crazy, insane addict saying a water park was a delightful experience. So, guys, if you'll practice in the the less risky environments, if you'll build yourself up, you'll be able to go into those tough ones and you'll be able to do well. I promise you it will happen. Uh, Steve, somebody else asked, is objectification just, just for addicts or... Is that just something guys do? Is that different for guys and guys and you know men and women? Mm. Yeah, I mean I'm going to say something really strange, but <laughs> men, are, men are kind of voyeurs by our very nature. It's not exclusive to addicts. We notice men notice. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean it's you know we as we obviously take this concept of lust to an extreme. And we use it as a way to numb out, medicate, right? And it, it kind of permeates our lives in very excessive, overblown ways that the typical average person wouldn't. But don't make any mistake, guys. There's lots of research out there that shows that men are much more tactilely and verbally stimulated. So touch and visual, hands down, we, we are, are much more so than, than women. When it comes to, now I, I need to keep checking this figure because I, I haven't looked at it in too long. But an average man at his physical peak, so like in his mid-20s, Versus a woman at her physical peak, at that same age in the, in their mid twenties, the average man has it's either seven hundred or seven thousand times the amount of testosterone as a woman does. Uh, uh, testosterone, as most of you know, is is the primary sex hormone, um, primary sex regulator. So it's no secret that men tend to be much more. We tend to lead out with the physical, which then blends into and bleeds into the emotional, whereas women are geared towards <clears throat> frankly, the exact opposite. Now, that's not that doesn't hold true with everybody in every setting, and that changes over time. But but that is something to keep in mind. So no, this and this and this concept of objectification, guys. By the way, remember, especially like the non-sexual, 
we live in a world that objectifies everyone, right? And everything. The the guy, the cold hard stock stockbroker who lives in Manhattan, you know, on up in the high rise, he objectifies all the time. What is he doing? He is a stone cold trader that does not care of who whose throat he stomps on. What's his job? To make money for his investors at any cost. That's what he does. Mark used to live in that, work in that world. <laughs> that was his career in another life, was doing that kind of a thing, right? Those, that, that is a highly objectifying career. You're looking at dollar signs on a page. It's very easy to not see the people behind that, right? What do you see? A balance sheet. And how's that going to transfer over to my investors and my reports for my quarterlies, right? Or whatever the case may be. So this idea of objectification goes far beyond this sexual realm that we so oftentimes look at. We, I, don't, I can't speak for you guys, but I'm not going to lie. Uh, in the city that I live in, people have kind of over the last 15, 20 years gotten shockingly cold with one another. What I mean by that is when I walk down the street and I'll walk past people, the sad reality is more often than not, people don't say hi to each other. They don't even acknowledge each other on the street. Sometimes you might get the nod. Once in a while, somebody will say, hey, how are you doing? But that is, that, that, that is a very rare thing. And we live in this, it goes back to what Mark and I talk about often, where we live in the most connected, but also simultaneously most disconnected world ever in the history of mankind. We have, there are 10 ways that a person can get a hold of Steve in real time. Some various social media platforms, uh, text, phone, email, right? Through the DDC website, the list goes on about all the ways that people can, can, can connect with me. But how many people really connect with me? That's a whole different story, right? The same thing would be true for every person in the world. So we have all these mediums through which we quote unquote connect, but these connections so often, how, how deep are they? They're just, they're just surface level, right? And, uh, and, and so this, this concept of objectification, it permeates every corner, every area of our lives. It, this world of addiction is just one area in which this is a problem as far as society goes today. Well, and, and Steve, I'm really glad you brought that up because let's talk, guys, about another really excellent tool that, that you and I can use when we get into public spaces so that we can shift out of that objectification. It's kind of an advanced tool, but it does tie in with, did you check your identity at the door? Are you, are you aware of your environment? And now, are you going into that space with one significant priority. I am going for connection. So let me tell you how this works for me. If I'm at the grocery store and I go to the checkout and there's a young, attractive girl that's the, that's the checkout clerk, what am I going to do? I am going to make eye contact with her. I'm going to look into her eyes. I'm going to notice the name on her name badge and I'm going to address her by name. Hey, Lucy, how are you doing today? Right? I can tell that you're a little tired. Boy, has it been a long shift for you? Right? There's a little technique that I use. People say, Mark, I don't know how to connect to people in public. It's awkward. Let me give you a technique, guys. It's called say what you see. Say what you see. So if if I'm with that girl at the checkout counter, what do I see? I see her name. I see her face, I see that she's tired, and I engage with her like a human being with another human being. That's part of my identity check at the door, by the way. 
I am a human being. I'm about to go in here and interact with other human beings, not human parts, human beings. So I engage people in conversations. I ask them how their day's been. I ask them how they're doing, right? Connect, connect, connect. I promise you, if you will do that at that level, you are not going to be checking out body parts. You're, you're going to be interacting with another human being. And quite frankly, you're going to like it. There's a part of you that is going to like doing that. Now, I'm going to say Mark Phoenix says, says something great because it's a great question. This is what we want to be doing, guys, is we're in an environment like this, talking about this in real time. Does that ever come off as flirting? So let's, let's, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, man, yes. <clears throat> that is a good question. <clears throat> and, here's, and here's where this can go awry fast, guys. You'll notice that I didn't say my wife and I were at the checkout counter and I started talking up the girl. That's a difficult situation if you're there as a couple because your wife is, because of her triggers and the betrayal, she is easily not going to interpret that in a healthy way. I promise you. I've had a lot of couples I've worked with where the woman says, he's always talking people up in public, right? He's always being friendly with everybody. And so this is something you're going to have to navigate. You're going to have to, again, talk about it in advance if you're going to try it when you're with, when you're with your wife. But I'll, t- I'll tell you what the test is, whether it's flirting. What is your intention? Again, what do we, we not only say check your identity at the door, check your intention at the door. Why are you talking this person up? What's your intent? What's really going on deep down inside of you? Are you really just respecting and having a conversation with another human being, or are you, or are you, are you flirting? You know the difference. You guys know the difference. I, Steve and I work with our clients all the time to help guys become sensitive to their intention. Because guys will say, Mark, intention, what's my intention? So you have to literally learn how to check your intention. Today, I know exactly whether I'm cross the flirting line or whether it's just having a human-to-human conversation. I could tell you instantly because of my internal intention. So that's another test you want to pay it, you want to look at. Yeah. No, and I, I love Mark's answer, and I'll kind of I'll expand on that with some thoughts of my own. I, I think two things. One, if I were to do that kind of thing today, because I do do that on a frequent basis when we do go out and do things with each other. I, I like talking to people. Um, I can tell you that this far into recovery, my wife doesn't question that most, most of the time. Now, the reason for that is because of the work that we've done, right, and the safety that we've created, the consistency over time. And that kind of brings me to the second answer, guys. Now, because Mark, Mark's technique is awesome, but there's one thing that you need to be doing if you are – even though it's not your job to own your spouse's trigger, guess what? The, guess where this would come off as flirting? Are you doing that in a way that you don't take the time to do that with your own spouse? <laughs> think about that for a minute, right? So often I think we as guys, and I don't know if it's a guy thing or just person, a human thing, and maybe it's both. But so often, I think too, too many of us, we look at our relationships. I actually had a client say this in a really good way the other day. We look at our relationships too as as something already won over. Past tense, right? Well, I won my wife, right? Or I or I I you know I I I, I obtained her, right? Or I acquired her, or whatever. However you want to put that, right? In the past tense, I 
I dated her, I pursued her, and so now, now we're together. How much are you still pursuing, though? That is not a past tense state of living. Uh, great relationship guidance for anybody, I don't care if you're an addict or not, is if a relationship is struggling, that's the first thing you ought to ask yourself. Are we still pursuing each other, or are we looking at that through a past tense lens? If I, because it's, I think it's very easy for us men who have checked the box mindsets to look at that and say, ha-ha, box checked, right? But are we taking the time every day to pursue a partner, like Mark said? When was the last time we did anybody, um, did anybody connect with, when was the last time you connected with your partner in a way that was where you really sought to find something out about her, right? When was the last time you really tried to know her? When was the last check-in where maybe her check-in was a little surface level and you pushed her in the uncomfortable and said, hey, I want to know blank about you. Like, what can you tell me about this? Or what were your thoughts during this thing today? <clears throat> it looked like you may have been a little off. Can you walk me through it? I want to understand you better. Um, Phoenix is saying, do the bird analogy, Steve. I'm trying to think what the bird analogy was. I use so many analogies in my in my counseling. I have no idea what what they're referring is to. But right. But well, while you're while you're thinking about that, Steve, I'll tell you guys. Here's one of the big complaints that I get from spouses. At home, my husband is stoic. He's silent. Right. We're like I gotta I gotta like pry everything out of him. I gotta initiate the check-ins. I gotta go deep. Right. So he, he's really surface level. Right. And then we go in public and he's like Mr. Charisma. Boy, there's there are a few things that will set your spouse off more and trigger her more than that. Like, how come how come you're like that with her and never with me? How come you're so closed off and stoic? You're like a brick wall, except now we, you, we go out and you're 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 engaging with everybody. So we got to work on that, guys. Right. Can can we start to develop those things with our spouses as a normal part of, you know, life behind our, you know, the walls of our house so that she doesn't look and go, wow, he's a totally different person when he's out here. What what the hell? Right. And, you know, what am I, you know, chop liver. So that that is an issue. So I need to keep talking because Steve is looking something up. Uh, let's see. Oh, the birds that make the impressive nests. Yeah, yeah you have used this analogy before, Steve. Um, <clears throat> but I love what Steve says. You know, are you continually pursuing? Are you fighting for your relationship? Um, do you find do you find your partner fascinating, interesting? Do you find your partner delightful? Or do you do you do you enjoy engaging in conversation with your partner? Are you genuinely curious about what she thinks or what she has to say or how she sees the world? It may be that those things I just said don't exist for the two of because you've been through so much, you know, quote crap, and you're going to need to rebuild that. You're going to need to rebuild the fascination with each other, the curiosity with each other. Uh, I mean, I got to tell you, after all these decades, and it took an insane amount of work on both of our parts, there's nobody I'd rather be with and engage in conversation than my wife. I truly find her fascinating. She's interesting. I love to ask her what, how she sees the world and, and you know, what her perspective is. But that takes time uh, to bring that back if you've lost it. But be very careful about being two different people 
when you go out into public? Is this going to trigger your wife big time? Did you find it yet, Steve? I did. So Steve's going to pull up the bird analogy. <laughs> he's he's, he's rem- I, I'm remembering what this is now, too, the bird analogy. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm back. Sorry. So I'm just going to share my screen with you guys real quick. Um, ignore all the distracting stuff on here. There's nothing inappropriate, but I, it's on a Reddit page, and I can't find a better screenshot. Oh, there we go. I got rid of all the junk. Okay. Let me... Oh, shoot. Hang on. Sorry. Let me go back to screen. I apologize, guys. I'm using the mouse on the on the laptop. It's not an exact science here. Okay. Well, while you're, while you're still doing that, Steve, let me, let me answer Mr. Moonrise's comment here real quick. I don't know how to say this. It seems, that, it seems that Moonrise and I have an issue with me looking at her. She is beautiful. Yes, guys. One of the things you'll find that can happen is that your wife may even consider you objectifying her. And again, it's going to take time for that to become healthy. So, Mr. Moonrise, that is a topic for discussion with your wife. Talk with her about why you notice her and how you see her and what that's about so that you can help her work through that. But that's not unusual, Mr. Moonrise. That happens a lot. Yeah. Okay. Can you see that, Mark? Okay. Um, so let me, let me unmute myself, make sure I'm okay. I am. I'm unmuted. All right. So if you guys can see that picture, what, what uh, Phoenix was referring to, we talked about this months and months ago here on D2C, is there's this bird out there called the Bower bird. And I remember running across this a couple of years back, and it, these birds are interesting. You know, different birds do different things with their nests and things like that. But the Bower bird takes this concept of nests and wooing a mate to like this whole crazy level. If you want to see some amazing pictures, just Google Bower bird nests. It brings up some really amazing stuff. And this is one of the more incredible ones. So this is a nest made by a bowerbird. These are not big birds. They're like the size of like your average like sparrow. Okay. They're not huge. Um, but in order to attract and mate, the bowerbird will make these crazy elaborate displays of trying to woo affection from some from another bird. Um, this picture, you're, you can see, look at this amazing nest. If, if the camera pans down lower, you can't because there's another angle of this. That whole area inside there is open. Like there's a little house in there. And if you look at this picture, right, look at all these different little piles. He's got different piles of seeds and nuts and berries for his mate that he's got ready. Now, he doesn't have a mate yet. He's trying to woo one. But I absolutely, I I do use this occasionally in counseling, this idea of, you know, when when it comes up, this concept of, of pursuing our partner, how often do we do that, right? Do we... Do we take the time like a bower board to, to really, really lay out the full spread for a partner in different ways? Um, you know, as we're connecting with other people, as we're trying to heal other relationships, as we're trying to improve different areas of our lives in this recovery process, are we putting the due time into the relationship itself? Not just to make amends, okay? Not just to make the relationship a, what would you call it? Not just to heal it or to repair it, but to grow it. Right? When was the last time we pursued our partner? Have we done that recently? Not just sought healing for them, not just tried to create a safe space for them, not just tried to um, build that up for them, but, but when was the last time they felt pursued, they felt wanted, they felt desired? Now, I understand that this is a somewhat triggering topic for some spouses for who may be listening because 
depending, depending on your marriage, how much a spouse is able to accept being pursued right now varies, right? And you need to be sensitive to that in your own relationships. Um, and that's something, again, to be talking about with a partner, like, you know, in what ways is it okay to be pursuing you right now? Are you comfortable with that? Um, because again, that's going to differ, but, but are we taking the time to really do that with a partner? Um, you know, we're talking about this idea of socializing and connecting with people like Mark was saying, but are we doing where that I, what I find for most spouses, if, especially as the trust issues are being worked on, you know, the Jetson said, you know, I think that would come off as flirting if I did that at the store. And again, if you're at a really early stage of recovery, they may, that may come off that way no matter what. But again, two points to that one even though I want to be sensitive to my partner, it's not my job to mind read my partner. I need to allow them to own that trigger and to process that out either with me or with their own people. Because if I'm pursuing my authenticity, I need to be doing that in recovery. But the second piece of that is, is what will help with that is, can you honestly answer and say that you take that same time or more to do that with a spouse? When was the last time you asked about your wife's metaphorical name tag? Like Mike Mark said, Right. When was the last time you went up to your wife and you made an observation and just said, you know, you just seem in a loving way. I know some, some people said that would get you shot, but, you know, you, you, seem, you seem really fatigued today. Like, how are you really doing? Like, what's, what's going on? Can I help? Right? And, and there was a sincerity to that. When was the last time that we really pursued our partner and said, guys, hell, when was the last time you just said, you look really nice today? My wife the other day, she did... Uh, my wife does different hairstyles. She's got long hair, long dark hair, and she uh, once in a while she oh we're oh wow we're up about time. Once in a while, thank you. Mark's reminding me. Gosh, time flies. We uh, my wife did her hair in one of those the Disney oh gosh what's it called? There's a there's a princess Disney princess who does like the braid thing in her hair. I think it's Belle from Beauty and the Beast. There's like a certain braid. And I said, you did Belle hair today. (laughs) And she thought it was just cute that I made that comment, right? When was the last time we didn't just say, hey, you look nice, but we said something specific, like Mark said. When was the last time we really brought them in? And so, oh, guys, there's so many more things that we wanted to get to today in this environment. We don't have time. We're obviously over time, and we got to wrap up. But we just appreciate you guys being here with us today. And doing this and we look forward to doing more of these in the future. I'm going to shut up and let Mark wrap us up here. So I'm going to mute myself. Oh, let's see. Where's my, where's my little mic here? Yeah, guys, thanks for all the participation. Oh, uh, Phoenix says it's an Elsa braid. Maybe it was Elsa. I don't know. Lots of the Disney princesses do braids, (laughs) but guys, uh, so here's our assignment. Uh, We want you guys to uh, do some journaling about what we talked about today. Where are you with regard to your most challenging environments? Where are you? And I, we want to invite you to, to choose just one environment that's challenging. Don't, don't pick the most severe one, like, like me with the water park, but choose an environment that's moderately challenging and journal about the kinds of things that you can do to go in and make the attempt to have that environment be healthy for you next time or healthy for you and your spouse. Specifically journal about a specific environment and what are the tools that you can use so that when you go into that environment, you have the greatest chance for success. So that's our journaling assignment to you.
Can I give one additional piece too? I want you to come up with this plan and we're going to push you guys to be uncomfortable, okay? Unless it's downright unsafe, meaning that it would hurt your, your spouse's safety. Okay, we want you to come up with this plan and I, we, want, we want you to invite your partner, offer to share that with them. Maybe not invite, offer to share that with them. Say, hey, I did my assignment. Would you be okay if I shared this with you? Would that be something you'd like to hear? And we want you to walk you, walk you through it with them, okay? Get uncomfortable, guys. Remember what we said at the beginning of this. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this today is recovery has to happen in real time. That doesn't mean you expose yourself to crazy and healthy things in this process, but it does mean that we are creating an environment as we build healing that's going to allow us to live a quote-unquote normal life, right? Get out there, be out there in environments like this. It's Guys, it's a huge blessing. As Mark, we were talking about this, to be able to come to a coffee shop and just enjoy the time rather than this be the seventh circle of hell. Just be something that's enjoyable to be able to spend time, Mark and I, because we don't see each other nearly enough in person. Um, and, And there was a time where neither one of us could do that very well. This is one of those many benefits of recovery. If you're willing to put in the work, it's great to have, I, I haven't objectified a single barista here. That's, now that may sound just like average to the average person. Oh, great. That's kind of water into wine stuff for me. <laughs> right? It's a, great, it's a great lifestyle to be in that place. It's totally achievable. Uh, let us know, guys. Give us some thoughts about where you would like some on-location stuff to be for us in the future. We've got lots of ideas about different environments, some really cool things we have done in the shoot for the next couple of months. But let us know if there are particular environments or things that you might find helpful or inspirational. We'll look at those and look at doing more of this type of thing. So anyway, okay, guys, have a great rest of your day. Have an awesome uh, day in in the uh, world of recovery. Pursue healing, and uh, we will talk to you guys or see you guys rather Wednesday. Take care, everybody. All right, so there you have it. That was a rebroadcast of a live Dare to Connect session that was done especially for addicts back in January of this year. And we were broadcasting from an actual public coffee shop because that's one of the examples of places that have all kinds of triggers. And we were taking our addicts through a real-life situation in the trenches. Absolutely. So we hope you enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed uh, seeing some of what we do in D2C. And as we mentioned at the beginning, If you have a desire to come on over and join with us uh, at Dare to Connect, uh, please come and take uh, advantage of our free two-week trial. We'd love to see you over here. And you can find out more, of course, at daretoconnectnow.com. And if you have uh, things you'd like us to address in the PBSE podcast, just reach out to us through pbscpodcast.com. And we're happy to entertain uh, requests for uh, PBSE episodes. So thanks for joining us and uh, we'll, we'll see you in the next episode. Have a great day, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.